You are now listening to an audio broadcast from First International Christian Fellowship. Get plugged in by visiting our website, ficfreno.com. Guess what? Every single person who is a believer has to be a believer and operational for God every moment of your life. Every moment. There's not a time when you're yours. Try to do that, but it tends to be a very miserable existence for a Christian. The, the other part is that he wants to reveal here that the Holy Spirit is the unveiling of the glory of Jesus Christ. Okay? It's the unveiling of the glory of Jesus Christ. The, um, the confidence here is to, to know that you can't do it on your own. Okay? Now, let me give you an example. Is that, you know, I, I, at my job, um, people... Um, People actually think I'm smart. I'm entertained by that because I know it's not true. But, but it's always interesting to me. And I, I think one of the differences is that Bible doctrine, the principles of God that I have studied for 28 years of being a Christian, and I study all the time, um, make me a person that I am not on my own. That makes sense? I, I, I am as ordinary a person as I've ever met. In fact, I think I probably have a couple minuses if I really looked hard. But what I mean by that is that because I follow what God has taught me and because I follow his rules and principles, it makes me, it makes me appear smarter than I am. <laughs> Does that make sense? So it, it, because why? Because God's smart. He's really smart, you know, and his truths are infinitely wiser than ours. And every time you choose his way over your way, you will always be successful. You will always be beneficial. You will always be blessed in time and in eternity. And that's what Paul's talking about here. Now, we are, we are priests of God. and We're ambassadors of God. We're his representatives on earth. And a lot of people don't know that, but, you know, the, the, God, the, the Lord himself does not control the world. He's not in charge of it. Uh, a lot of people think so. And my joke in my class is always that, if you think so, read the newspaper. If God's in charge of things and the newspaper says what it says, he really is awful at managing stuff, right? And, and that's kind of a sense of humor. But in reality, Satan is the one who's, who owns this world right now. He's in charge. He's there. It's called the power of the air in the scriptures, okay? But what he does do, what God does do, he does the next best thing. He takes his agents, he takes his soldiers, he takes his believers, and he gives them a power that is greater than any power in the world, and he sets them in the world to make a difference, to make his plan to become true, okay? So your full-time service is that when you go to work in business, you are Christ's ambassador. When you are your wife's husband, you are our Christ ambassador. When you are your husband's wife, you're his ambassador. It counts. It makes a difference. It's God that we're trying to please here. The relationship that a Christian has to have is not with his wife, but with his God. That makes the difference. It's not with his boss. It's not with his children. It's with God himself. It has to be premier first and foremost under all things. If you want to be a great father, and you want to be a great husband, a great wife, or a great worker, put God first in everything you do. Now, I'm not telling you that, I'm not trying to tell you this dribble that you hear that you have to go around evangelizing people and taking your Bible to, to work. Leave your Bible at home unless you're going to read during lunch. 
or maybe before. Focus on your job. That's your witness. How, how do you convince somebody that a Christian is worth, worth having as a worker? You do it by being the best worker, by serving the Lord. That's what he says. Whatever you do, do it as unto me. Everything is a test. The test you are to your children, to your wife, to your husband, to your business is being the absolute best believer that you can be. Absolutely. And when you are not, you shame Christ. He's first, foremost. There's a principle we're going to learn about is being veiled. A veil, if you know, if it's one you put over your face. And we're going to learn about it in, in, in a little bit. But in Christianity, when you are in fellowship with God, you are operational. You are operational. It means that if you do, if you are filled with the Holy Spirit and you do what God tells you to, in reality, you are the glory of Jesus Christ to all that you meet. That's what it's all about. That's Christianity. That is Christ in me. That is the part where we are his. This is the piece here I was talking about here, First uh, Peter 2.9. He says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You are not just priests. Every single believer. This isn't, this isn't talking to a particular people. This is talking to all believers. If you are a believer, you are not just a priest, but you're a royal priest. You're in royal family. Who is the royal family? Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Okay? We are his, and that's why we're royal. And the priesthood means that a priest is a person who represents himself to God himself. There's nobody in between. That's called privacy. Okay? When you're messed up and you're having struggles, the first person you talk to is God. Nobody else. I mean, you can if you want to. But in reality, you have a relationship with the, with the most powerful being in the world. Why waste your time? Okay? You might want to find a friend. They're kind of cool, too. Second Corinthians 5.20. <clears throat> we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though Christ were making his appeal through us. That's the point. Okay? That's the point of the whole thing. God is making an appeal to both believers and unbelievers through you. Now, if you think you can hit God's standards on your own, feel free to step up without the filling of the Holy Spirit. But I'm telling you, it'll be a disaster, and it will not be in God's plan. God's plan is for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So how do you be filled with the Holy Spirit? If you're a Christian, you have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit all by itself. That's the end of the story. You have it because you're saved, and God the Holy Spirit gave it to you. And the question is whether it's going to be operational. Whenever you have sin between you and God, it's called quenching or the grieving of the Holy Spirit. So as a Christian, I am filled with, with God's Holy Spirit unless I sin, and then I'm not. I'm still indwelt, I'm just not filled. I'm not operational. I'm like a car that's sitting out here right now. It's not going anywhere, okay? And the Holy Spirit's like the gas, just moving along, okay? So the first thing you deal with is that you get filled with the Holy Spirit because that's the way you're the ambassador of God. Okay? Too many Christians are not filled with the Holy Spirit and therefore are acting on their own. They're like, they, you know, they, I was in the army. They have people for that. They call it A-W-O-L. 
You know what that is? That's when, you, that's when you're not supposed to be someplace, and you're gone. You're off on your own. You're a scout. Most of those guys get killed if they're more. But um, that's what that is. So when you are not filled with the Holy Spirit, you're AWOL. That's what you are. You're missing an action. You are not part of the plan. Not because God didn't give you provision. It's because you left. You didn't follow instructions. That's the instructions for Christianity. That's what Paul is trying to do here with Corinthians. He's trying to say, Corinthians, stop being your ignorant, stupid self. God has made provisions for you. Even idiots like you, Corinthians. I'm not meaning to point. There's no place else to point, okay? Um, and what he's saying is that they're morons. I mean, we, we, we've read Corinthians. The Corinthians are real morons, okay? Yet they are called Adelphos, brothers, called brothers of Christ, okay? And what he's trying to do here is say, you know something? Stop fighting the battle on your own. You can't, you can't, you can't do it. You're going to get your butt whooped, okay? But I have made provisions the Holy Spirit to be in you that you will have that power. And I have given you directions, the word of God. And if you take my power and my directions and you walk with me, you will be one of the most powerful people on the face of the earth and you will impact time and eternity for Jesus Christ. That's a pretty good deal. Okay? Ah, here we go. What is it? Organized. Let me see. So let's see if I can see that. Uh, five. Okay. Um, not that we are competent in ourselves. This is the whole point. This is Paul's point. Like, the guy who's speaking here, Paul, is the greatest believer in the history of the world. He wrote more. He has more doctrine than anybody. Yet he writes here, he says, not that we are competent in ourselves. If you've read anything from Paul, Paul is a genius. One of the greatest geniuses in all time. Yet he says... We're not competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. Okay? Now, the words here are really interesting. The competence is the word for being qualified. It's being sufficient. And what he's saying is that we're not sufficient. We're not really qualified to do these things. We're only qualified in God. Filling of the Holy Spirit, truth of the word of God. Okay, And he also uses words here that he says, the, the word here when he says we are not competent in ourselves, he's saying from the ultimate source. The preposition there is an ultimate source. means that from me, I'm not capable. Okay, And then he uses a different preposition when he's talking about God. He says, but I am completely capable in the Lord. Now, that's capability of potential. Okay, Potential is an important thing to understand. It means that you can either take advantage of it or not take advantage of it. Most Christians do not take advantage of the power that God has given to them or the truth. Verse 6, he has made us competent. That word is the word for able. He has made us able. He has made us capable. Now, the interesting thing about capable is that it still depends on potential. It, de it depends on whether you're going to do something with it. Just because you are able to do something doesn't mean that you will. So God has supplied all the ability. The question is whether you're actually going to do something with it. Okay? He says, as ministers of a new covenant. Hmm. A new covenant. Anybody know what that word new covenant stands for? It's, it's New Testament. That's what covenant is, it's New Testament. Okay? He's talking about the doctrine of the church. 
He says, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, uh, but the Spirit gives life. And what he's talking about here, now the interesting, the, the, first thing I want to I look at, is the word minister here, look at, he's, he's not talking about a minister. He's talking about all of you. This is one of the cases where a minister is talking about you have the ability to minister for the Lord. Okay? And he says here, the new covenant is not one that's written in letters. Like he's, and he's referring to the Mosaic law, the Ten Commandments we're chiseling on. He's talking about that letter there. He says, but by the Spirit. Now, remember the verse we did last week with Joe? He says, he says to them, he says, you know something? God has written our message on your hearts. You're our letter. You're the letter. You are the letter that God has written to the world. You are. He makes another statement. He says, the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Now, the word here for letter is, is like I said, it means the, it's one of the Ten Commandments. It's one of the, the codexes of the Ten Commandments. It's the, it, what he's really saying is that the Mosaic law is designed, specifically talking about the Ten Commandments, to kill. Now, we don't think about it that way, but that's what it does. The law kills. That's what it says here. The law of the Ten Commandments kill. And, um, but the Holy Spirit gives us an operational life of God. That's what that means. The Old Testament and the Mosaic Law today was designed to show you that you are dead in your transgressions. There's no hope for you. Now, if you're unbelievers, I could say that. But in reality, you're believers. And there is hope for you. Hope in Jesus Christ. I'm just knocking things all over the place here. Kind of dangerous. Um, and there, there's three pieces to the, to, the, to, the, to the Mosaic Law. Okay, the Mosaic Law is the law of the Old Testament. It's specifically given to the Israelites, okay? It's never given to Christianity. It's only given to the Israelites. It's only given to the Jews. It has never been given uh, on Mount Sinai when it was originally given. It was never given to Christianity, ever. We all adopt it. Okay? And his point here is that, I think, is that the Christians, are, the Christians in the Corinth are trying to live these moral lives. Okay? And what they are doing, in reality, is they are murdering their Christianity. Okay? That's what they're doing. They're really, they're, they, are, they are ending it. Okay? In reality, he's trying to tell me, you have this power of the Holy Spirit, and you have this power that is invincible and infinite, yet you will not live by it. I think, my personal opinion is that some things haven't changed. Christianity does that today. Christianity, the great majority of Christians don't know enough about the Word of God to understand His plan for their lives. Tragically true. They don't know that they're supposed to walk in the Holy Spirit. They don't know that the truth of God is supposed to override every piece of their thinking. Now, if you knew that, you'd study it more, right? You spend more time learning those instructions so you could apply them. But most people don't know enough doctrine to apply it. What they apply is morality. They apply, I'm going to be nice. Nice in Christianity must be the same. But they're not. It's easy to tell that they're not. Because if a believer, if an unbeliever can be nice, God would have to accept it if that were true. But he doesn't. 
doesn't accept it at all. Well, the life that's here is this verse right here, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. See, the Holy Spirit, what he does in us when we follow the word of God, Bible doctrine is operational in our choices and our thoughts. And we have the power of the, of the Holy Spirit. See what it says here? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. The Mosaic law has no place in this. What we are to live is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Not the fruit of Richard, as much as that may be uh, fun. For those of you who know me, that might be scary too, right? The fruit of the Spirit. Why the fruit of the Spirit? Jesus Christ, when he was on earth, did everything he did in the power of the Holy Spirit. He produced the fruit of the Spirit perfectly. That's why God calls us to do that. If you want to have Christ in you operationally, that's how you do it. You don't do it on your own. You have to be aware. You have to think about what God has taught you. Okay? If you find yourself out of fellowship, confess it. 1 John 1, 9. Because if you're out of fellowship, all you do means nothing for God. Zero. Okay? The life he's talking about here is the glory of God revealed in us. We have, we have that on our, on our page. Christ in us. We're supposed to reveal Christ. That's who we are, to make him known. Now, most of us think that we make him known by talking. Okay? But you know something? People don't listen to what you say. They listen to what you do. I can tell my wife all day long I love her, but if I don't love her in my actions and everything that I do, she's going to go, yeah, right. Yeah. Women are very good discerners, right? It's just true. Where are we now? 3-7. Okay, cool. This is the, a little bit different than I had written down. Now, if the ministry that brought death, now, if is, if is what they call a first-class condition. Most of us think about ifs as being maybe yes, maybe you know. But the, but, but the Greeks don't do ifs like that. The grammar of the if tells you what it means. Like this one's called a first-class condition. It means uh, if and it's true. Okay? So it says, um, um, now the, the, the ministry uh, that has brought death, talking about the command, has brought death. Okay? It, it, it's like the piece where, remember Jesus is in the, uh, in the desert, and Satan looks at him and says, uh, you know, if you are the son of God, change these rocks into, into bread. Remember when he says that? Now, that should make you wonder, because you sit there and say, wait a minute, you're Satan, you know who Jesus is, you were in heaven with him for a million years, why you say if? Because that if is not an if, maybe yes, maybe no. That is a first class condition if. It means if and you are the son of God. Okay, but that's not how it's read because we have ifs that are different kinds. But that's the same kind that's here. It says, this ministry, it does bring death, okay, which has been engraved on letters of stone, talking about the Ten Commandments again. Um, it says, and it, came, and, it, and it came with glory. And what this means is that even though the Ten Commandments doesn't apply to us as Christians, and it does not, okay, the Ten Commandments does not belong to us. If, if you don't believe that, it's a really easy test. It's the easiest test in the world. 
Were you here yesterday for church, or are you here today for church? Because yesterday was the Sabbath. Today's not the Sabbath. Today's the first day. Not the Sabbath. There's no such thing as a Christian Sabbath. The Sabbath has always been on Saturday. So if that's true, then you broke the Mosaic Law, and you break it every single Sunday. So the Mosaic Law is not for us, okay? We fulfill the Mosaic Law, its principles, infinitely greater when we walk with the Holy Spirit. That's what its purpose is. We fulfill the law, just like Jesus fulfilled the law, okay? Says, so the Israelites, so the Israelites could not look steadily into the face of Moses um, because of its glory, uh, transitory as it was. Meaning that transitory just meaning that it fades. So if you remember this story, uh, right here, it says when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets. Uh, this, I think this is the second batch. Remember the first batch he threw? <laughs> but um, came back with it, the covenant of law in his hands. He was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. Uh, when Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, I mean, think he's coming down with these things and his face is just glowing like a light bulb. Okay? That's called the Shekinah glory. The kind of glory is the same glory that you see in the Holy of Holies when you have the Ark of the Covenant come back when the two cherubs have the things. And what happened is there was a glowing on top between those two wings. And that was the presence of God. That's the presence of Jesus Christ. Same thing in the transfiguration. When he glowed like the sun, that's that. So what happens is when, when, when Moses is down there talking to the Lord, who was Jesus Christ before he became Jesus the man, um, and he was giving him the law, his face was all lit up because of being in the presence of God. And he's walking down, and he doesn't know it, okay? So what happens is, if you look here, it says, uh, they were afraid to come near him. I get that part. Okay, um, But Moses called them back so that Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him. And he spoke to them. Afterwards, all the Israelites <coughs> excuse me, uh, came near him, and he gave them all of the commands of, uh, the Lord had given to him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. Okay, So he put a veil over his face. Uh, when he was but when he was finished speaking to them, that's, the, that's a key point there. He says, but whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he would remove the veil until it came out. Um, and when he came out and told the Israelites uh, what he had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went to speak to the Lord again. What was happening there is that as he would speak of, of, of the, of the, to the Lord, of the covenant of the Ten Commandments and the other ones, because there's, there's actually three pieces to, to the Mosaic Law. There's the Ten Commandments, that's called Codex One. There is Levitical Offerings, that's called Codex Two. And then the last one is the Social and National Law, that's called Codex Number Three. Those are all covered in the Mosaic Law. Specifically, this one's talking about the Ten Commandments, because it has to do with the way that you, you live, okay? And this is a comparison to the Holy Spirit, which is the way we live. Okay? But what's happening here is that as he would talk, that glory would fade. Okay? And so what he did is that rather than have them see that fadeness, he'd put a veil over his face um, so that they, they would know. But each time he went to the Lord, note that each time he goes with the Lord, he's radiant. Each time he goes away from the Lord and he stops talking about the Mosaic Law, it starts to fade. Okay? And that's Paul's point here. Um, He says, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? And he's making a comparison here. 
Um, if the ministry that, that brought condemnation was glorious, and he's talking about the Mosaic Law, the, the Mosaic Law and the Ten Commandments condemns. Okay? Do you understand that? What it tells you is that the summary of the Ten Commandments is you're a sinner, you don't meet God's righteous level, and you're going to hell, by the way. Okay? That's, that's, the, that's, the, that's the shortest summary you've ever heard of the Ten Commandments. But that's what it is, and that's why he's saying that, is that what is the Ten Commandments supposed to do? It's supposed to show you what the righteous standards of God is and say, guess what? You don't measure up. Guess what? You need a Savior. That's what the Mosaic Law is for today, for unbelievers. But it's not for believers, okay? So he's saying here, he's doing, he says, if the ministry that brought condemnation is glorious, and it is, it was done by the hand of God. It did lots of great things. It was the way that the Jews lived a righteous life as best that they could in the time that they lived it, okay? That was before Christ. If it was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? Now, what this is saying is that the ministry of God the Holy Spirit, the one that we live in, brings righteousness. Not our righteousness. We don't have any righteousness, in case you didn't notice. Okay? What righteousness does it bring? Power of the Holy Spirit, truth of the Word of God. You put those together, filling of the Holy Spirit, and guess what you get? A righteous life. A life that, according to the Scriptures, meets all the demands plus more of the requirements of God. It meets his righteous standard perfectly. Nothing human beings can do will ever meet that standard. This Isaiah 64, 6, it says, your righteousnesses are as filthy rags to me. It means that your best stuff, God, will, God doesn't even want to be next to it. It stinks. So he's provided something for us. He's provided something for Christianity that is not provided by any people in all time. No other people in all of time have been indwelled with the Holy Spirit. No other people in all of time have been required to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to walk with the Holy Spirit, to walk in the truth. That is the life that Paul's trying to tell them here. There is this great life for you. Step up. Take advantage of it. God has provided for you. Guess what? You will be accountable for Jesus Christ as to whether you took advantage of it. Remember the little part? What have you done? What have you done with your life? Remember that part? Because through Christ, the law of the Spirit, who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. That's, the law of sin and death is the old sin nature that all of us still have. Guess what? As a Christian, you actually have the ability to override the power of the sin nature in you. We're the first people in all history to do that. That's what Romans 8, Romans 8 is all about. Okay? It says, it has made you free. Free to what? Free to have license? To do what you want? No. Free to serve. Free to serve God. Unbelievers cannot free, are not free to serve God in any capacity. There is nothing that any unbeliever has ever done in all of human history that has ever pleased God one tiny bit. The exception to that, obviously, being Jesus Christ, our Savior. Okay? So it says it makes us free. For what the law, 
talking about the Ten Commandments, was powerless to do because it, sent, because it was the weakness by the flesh. In our flesh, we are weak. We can't get it done. God did by sending his son. What, ha what happened when sending his son? It gave us the provision for the Holy Spirit, provision of the truth of God, to, the provision to live a holy life. Not a good life, not a moral life, not a nice life, a holy life that meets God's standards. Nothing else meets his standards. In the likeness of, his, in the likeness of sinful flesh, Jesus Christ the person of God, the second person, came down as sinful flesh to be a sin offering for us so that we could live this life, so we could be saved. There's part of me as a Christian and as a teacher that is so irritated that Christians ignore what the sacrifice of Christ bought. It makes me crazy. I want to say, well, what is wrong with you people? Not you, of course. That's a joke. But <laughs> my whole point is that Christ died for this stuff. He paid a price that we can't even fathom. But yet 97% of Christians don't use any of it. It's a mockery. It's a mockery of the sacrifice. So that he condemns sin. Whenever you see sin in the singular, it means old sin nature in the flesh. It means that we are not captivated by our sin nature. God the Holy Spirit, when we are filled with him, controls our soul and has the power to veto anything that comes through our sin nature. Anything. Okay? In order that the righteous requirements of the law might be met in us. How? Filling of the Holy Spirit. That's what he's talking about. That glorious life of the Holy Spirit who does not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. This is why it says, I tell you, walk in the Spirit, so that you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. It's the only way not to do it. There's not a second way. You know, God's really, God's really, I like to like make jokes of this. God's really narrow-minded, you know. He only has one Savior. You know, not every Jesus will do. Just one, okay. And he only has one way to do this. That's the Spirit. If you do not live your life in the Holy Spirit, you are not living a Christian life. You are not pleasing God no matter how nice you are. I don't make the rules. I just know what they say. John 14, 16 to 17. And I will ask the Father, and he will give us he will give you another advocate. That advocate is the parakletos. That's the Holy Spirit. And another is the word alos. It means of the same kind. So he sent the comforter Jesus Christ. And when Jesus Christ lives, he will send the comforter who's the Holy Spirit. That's what that's saying to us. Okay? To help you and to be with you forever. We don't have the Holy Spirit in us for just life. We have the Holy Spirit in us forever. Forever, 100 trillion years from now, it'll be the same. Okay? Ever and ever and ever. Um, advocate to help you and to be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The spirit is the true teacher of the word of God. He only speaks the truth. The world cannot accept him because they neither see him, because he's invisible, nor do they know him. But you know him, for he lives in you and will be in you. 
Now, this is talking about, this is John 14. So this is talking about before the church aid came about. That's why he says, we'll be in you. He's talking about the future. He's talking about the church. Because for those of you who don't know, Jesus Christ did not live in the church age. He lived in the age of Israel. Okay? He was under the law. Right? That's why he died. He was under the law. Met every characteristic of the law. Every single point. Every jot and tittle he made. For what was glorious uh, has no glory now. What he's saying there, he says, the glory that was in the Ten Commandments in the Mosaic Law today has no glory at all. It's done. It's in the wrong spot. Okay? Yet, <laughs> there's very few Sunday school classes don't teach the Ten Commandments. We have the strange desire to bring up moral children. God does not want us to be moral. He wants our children to be holy. He wants us to be holy. That's his only standard. He's made the provisions. He says, go. Guess what? I know you're not strong. I'll give you power. I know you're not smart. I'll give you truth. All you have to do is yield to me. Humble yourself before me. Follow the protocol of God. For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. Talking about the surpassing glory is the word he's talking about with the Holy Spirit. So it's kind of like the, the symbolism here is kind of like um, if I have a match and I light that match, uh, it, it really lights up a room if it's dark and does a pretty good job. But as soon as the sun comes up, the match almost disappears. You can't see it because the greater glory of light is in the sun. It's, it's the same thing. The, the comparison of the Mosaic law of trying to live a moral life is like a match compared to trying to provide something like the Holy Spirit does, which is like the sun. That's the comparison between those two. And if what is transitory uh, came with glory, how much greater is the glory that will last? And that's his comparison. He's saying, if, if the Mosaic law came with glory, and it did these things, and it, in its time it did, do, it did do great things, it did godly things, but that was before they had this opportunity here today that we have as Christians and have had since, since the uh, Pentecost. We have that power of God available to us. You ever see that piece? You ever see where Peter talks in one where, where before Pentecost, he's hiding and he's screaming and he's whining like a little baby. And then after Pentecost, he's like pounding on the table and yelling and, uh, and telling the, uh, the Sanhedrin and people who Jesus Christ is. He's absolutely fearless. That's the difference between the two. One is without, one is with. One is with all the knowledge, but no power. The other one's with knowledge and power. Romans 3.20. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sights by the works of the law. That means it counts for nothing. If you're just being nice and moral, guess what? When you get to heaven, Jesus is going to say, get that stinky stuff away from me. Okay? That shows up in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, where he sits there and says, those who have wood, hay, and stubble will be burned. The only stuff that will be kept will be the gold, silver, and precious stones. And that is the work done by the greater glory of the Holy Spirit. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. 
That's, what's, that's what his purpose was. That's what his purpose is now. Is that you think you're a great person, unbeliever? Measure self, just measure yourself up those Ten Commandments. And what you'll do is you'll find you fail. And if you fail, you find that you need a Savior to save you because you miss God's, not God's standard. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. What Paul's saying here is he says, our hope is in this system that God has provided through the death of Jesus Christ. We don't have hope in ourselves. We have hope in this, in this glory, in this power, okay? And he says, and we are very bold, like Peter. Why are they bold? Because you know something? Speaking things like this um, runs into the face of legalism. Legalism is that. Legalism is what religion is all about. Every religion there is is about is, is about doing is about, is about doing something right and good for God. You know that Christianity is not a religion. You can come to church. The example is that you can tithe, you can pray, you can come to church, you can read your Bible, you can learn this. But if you do not believe in Jesus Christ, you're going to hell. The entrance to Christianity is faith in Jesus Christ and that alone. We're not a religion. We're in association with our Savior who has saved us by his grace. If you, if, if you never go to church again in your life, I can't say this, Joe will, Joe will be in trouble, huh? If you, if you are saved, you're going to heaven, no matter what you do. And on the other side, is that you can do all the right things in the world, show up for everything, but if you're not saved, guess where you're going? You're going to hell. Because we are not a religion. We are a relationship with the God of the universe through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And this is the point here. It says, in Galatians 4.29, it says, at that time, the son, the son born according to the flesh, that would be a reference to Ishmael. Okay? Remember Ishmael? The, uh, the one who was born, the first son of Abraham that was born by uh, Hagar, the, the, the slave woman. Okay? He says to the fresh, persecuted the son born by the power of the spirit. That's Isaac. Okay? It is the same now. And what that means is that those people who are born under the law, who have all these rules and all these little picky things, they persecute the people who walk in the grace of God. God's system is grace. Okay? You're not smart enough to do it on your own. It's grace and grace alone. The system that he did to save us is the same system that he's given us in life. He didn't change the, He didn't say, well, I'm going to do it one way this time, and they, yeah, I'm going to change the rules up and do it this way. They're the same, the same principles. Is that you walk in the grace of the power of the Holy Spirit, you walk in the grace of knowledge given to you by Bible doctrine, and you live a righteous life, and you get rewarded for that. That's grace. Okay. We are not like Moses who put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. That's Paul's reference. He says, the reason he's telling you, he's, telling, he's interpreting what happened here. He says, the reason that, 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 that Moses put it is because the, the Mosaic law was fading away. It was fading as he was. It's the analogy showing that it was not going to keep that power. It wasn't going to keep it. How do we know that? Because we have the power that doesn't fade away. The problem with Christianity is it's, it's going to one, but not the other. It's not going to the true power of God. 
but their minds were dull. That's another word for stupid. Um, for to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. And what that means is that the Jews, this is specific to the Jews. The context is Israelites. So this is specifically to the Jews, but it also applies to unbelievers. So he's saying here that it says, their minds are dull, even to this day, that even when the Old Testament is read in the synagogues, which it is on every single Saturday throughout the entire world, they miss that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. They miss it. What's interesting about that to me is that when I read the Old Testament, I see nothing but Jesus Christ. I see every prophecy fulfilled. What is the possibilities? Impossible, except by God. Jesus Christ fulfilled every single prophecy. Over 300, I hear. I haven't counted them all. But over 300. But they do not see it because they have been blinded by the devil himself. This was written in 57 A.D., that was almost 2,000 years ago. They are doing the same thing today. They, they miss the fact that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. It has, right in the end here, <clears throat> it has been removed because only, because only in Christ is it taken away. And what this, means, what this means is that the only way you remove the veil of not understanding who Christ is is by faith in Christ. You know, I... I um, when I became a Christian, I was not a nice person to begin with. Um, I was one of those people who like antagonized believers all the time. I was always poking fun at them. I, I, was, I, liked, I liked messing with them. It was just fun. I was an atheist. It was a lot of fun. Um, but what was interesting to me is I, uh, I, God talked to me one time and showed me something that scared me to death. I was about 38 years old. And... Um, and what I, I instantly knew what to do because I had a friend who was a Christian. And even though he was kind of a bozo, but he was still a Christian. So God shows through Christian bozos too. I don't you know that. And what, what happened is that I knew that he had the answer to what I was looking for. So I called him up and said, hey, I, I, I want to I go with you to church. I'm an atheist, right? So what am I supposed to be doing in church? But I was desperate, so I went. And uh, what was funny about this is that I went to church and Bible studies for like six months as an atheist. Must have driven them nuts, Okay. But one day, by myself, I accepted Christ as my Savior. And I read those same books, the whole New Testament, again, as a believer, and it all made sense to me, just like that. All of a sudden, I thought, this makes sense to me. Why was I arguing about that six months ago? But now, this stuff jumps out at me. I understand it. I get it. I get what the Lord's saying here. That's what he's talking about here. Once the veil is removed, and this, is a, this veil here is the veil of of unbelief for the Jews specifically, but it's true for unbelievers too. Once that is revealed, once that veil is lifted, then the Lord makes complete sense. He says, but whenever, whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. That veil is done by Satan. It's also done by people. It's not Satan alone. When, you, when a person is hard-hearted and rejects Christ, it is a cooperation. It's not like the Satan does something to them, okay? He, he doesn't sit there and say, you can't possibly know that. I'm going to prevent you from seeing it. He doesn't do that, okay? Because he can't. God won't let him, okay? What it is, it's cooperation. You like the hardening of the heart with the Pharisees. What it is, I mean, with the, with the Pharaoh. What it is, is the cooperation. Is that, I don't want to know... So therefore, God, Satan, 
protects that person from that. It's a cooperation, okay? The only way a person can believe in Christ is that they want to know that truth. They want to know. They have to choose it, okay? 17. Now, the Lord is the Spirit. And what that means is that the Lord is the Spirit. It's one of the very few times you see this. But the Lord is the word. That's the word kurios. It means God. Okay? And what this is saying is God is the Spirit. Now, Lord is not plural like God is. It's singular. Okay? It's what they call the tetragrammaton. We use the word Jehovah. Jehovah is singular. Yahweh is singular. Okay? It's what they call the tetragrammaton. It has four letters with no with no vowels in it. So you can't, it's, un, it's the unpronounceable name of God is what it is. And that's what it's talking about there. He says, now the Lord is the Spirit, okay? That's telling you that he is God. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, that's another name for the Holy Spirit, there is freedom. People who live, believers who live according to the Mosaic law and legalism are some of the most miserable people on the face of the earth. They're miserable. The only happiness they're going to have is when they die. Okay? But this is telling us something different. The people who know, who live in the Holy Spirit, they're free. They're not, they're not bound by rules and principles. They do have rules and principles, but they're free. They're free with those things. They feel that freedom. They are free to serve their God. The greatest freedom that there is. I think I had a verse supposed to go somewhere in here. We might go backwards. Um, and we all, with unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory. That means we understand it. We have the ability to understand it and are being transformed into his image. Now, what this means is that, is that when, we, when we walk in the Holy Spirit and we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we have the ability to understand a second glory. Because underneath, underneath this, it says glory to glory. Some of your translations may say that. It means glory to glory. It's saying the glory of the Holy Spirit and the glory of the Word of God are together to help transform you into the image of Jesus Christ. Okay? Now, that is what they call experiential, uh, experiential sanctification. It means that you are not instantly changed. You have to change over time. You have to grow in maturity. Okay? That is what we call in the scriptures getting to know who God is. We grow in him. We learn things that we were stupid here. I don't want to do those anymore. I'm going to call on the power of the Holy Spirit. I, I'm going to give myself to him because God won't take things away from you. He won't. That's the lesson of salvation. Will God let you choose hell? Yes, he will. Will God let you choose an unholy life as a believer? Yes, he will. It's all over the scriptures. Being transformed into his image. Not the Holy Spirit's image. This is the image of Jesus Christ. Okay? That's how we let people know who we are. We are the image of Christ. We are the ambassadors of God. We are his message here to all believers. Not me, not from here, but all of you and every single thing that you do for everybody you run into contact with. Okay? Now, don't be a lunatic because people think Christians are lunatics. Just walk with the Lord. Do what he asks you to in front of you. Okay? Use his power. And he says, into his image with ever-increasing glory. And this is a reference back to the other one. The, the 
filling of the Holy Spirit and the truth of God is ever-increasing. It means that as you mature, that glory of Jesus Christ becomes greater and greater and greater. That's our whole purpose here. That's why Jesus kept us. Why didn't you think he just didn't take us home so we wouldn't embarrass him? No, because he's given us this opportunity, the one that few people take, to grow more and more, ever increasing glory by walking in the Holy Spirit and learning more and more about the, whole, about the truth of the Word of God, taking doctrine, applying it to every single thing in our lives, and making that step towards Christ. More and more. Ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So it's not the Lord Jesus Christ, it is the Lord, the Spirit. The Spirit is the Lord, too. He is a singular person, okay? He has a job to do. He has a different job than Jesus Christ, but he's got a job. But that is his job for us. His job for us is to mature us, to give us power, to help us when we fail, to handle our fears and our concerns. That is his job. That is the holy life of God. That's the one that has been given to us. It's the only life available for Christianity. There's not another one. Romans 8.8, 8. those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. What that means is that if you walk in your sin nature, you cannot please God ever. It also tells you the other side of that is that an unbeliever, since he can only act in his old, his old sin nature, never pleases God no matter what he does. Okay? God has a standard. The funny thing is to me is that people keep trying to, when, you, when you're comparing yourself, a lot of us compare ourselves with each other. Unbelievers do it all the time. I'm, I'm better than rich. I'm sure to go to heaven. You know? If that were the criteria, he probably would. But it's not the criteria. The criteria is faith in Christ. It's God's standards. It's Christ's standards. I couldn't make it on my own, so I'm taking Jesus Christ's work on the cross, and I'm taking it. It's mine. That's why I'm going to heaven. James 1, 22 and 23. I'm going to see that. Anyone who listens to the word. Now, this is, this, is the, this is the last piece here. I think it's the last piece. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks uh, at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forget what he looks like. Now, I don't know about you. That sounds like a moron, right? Now, the piece that he's applying here is that because of our relationship with, with the Holy Spirit and the truth of the Word of God, when we look into our soul, we see God's truth, we compare ourselves to God's truth, and we ask ourselves, do I match up? Gee, you thought that was going to be simple, huh? No, that's what he's asking. If you can't look into your soul and compare yourself with the standard of the Word of God, then you're wasting your time reading the Bible. You're wasting your time. You're not going to get it. You're going to be the same fool today as you will be in the day that you die. And when the Lord sees you face to face, he's not going to say, great work, good and faithful servant. He's not going to say that. He's say, wow, way to slide in the base. That's what he's going to say. He just barely made it. Okay? But what whoever, this is what we're supposed to be doing, Whoever looks intently into the perfect law, this Christianity New Testament doctrine is the perfect law. 
Okay? That gives freedom. That's the confirmation. And continues to do it, not just today because I feel like I want to be holy, but every day that I don't feel like it. Because the Word of God is powerful. It will convict you. When you are not in the mood to be holy, you read the Word of God, it will put you in that mood. It'll convict you. Because what? You're owned by Christ. You're owned by Him. It will convict you. You continue to look at it, adjusting yourself, adjusting what you do, each and everything. You change your mind to be just like the mind of Jesus Christ. That's what the Word of God is, the mind of Jesus Christ. You have to do it every day. And guess what? You can't do it in your Bible study at home by yourself because you're going to lie to yourself. That's why God gave pastors and teachers gifts. That's why the Holy Spirit teaches in the setting of the church, in the setting of a Bible study. He gives the gifts of people who have that. And then the, I'll call it, the brave of God, those people who want to live a holy life for their Lord, they continue to look into it, not forgetting what they have seen, okay? what they have heard, what they are doing. They are blessed in all they do. The Christian life and the Holy Spirit and the truth of God is the only way that you will be blessed and happy as a Christian. So if you're not happy with your life and you don't like something, guess what? You're doing it wrong. Most Christians are. You're not alone. But there is a way to fix that. Come to church. Come to Bible study. Study it when you leave. Take it home. Study it over and over and over again. Walk with the Lord. It's the greatest deal that there is. And it's the only plan that God has. We have the greatest glory opportunity in our lives. That's it. So, thank you. Let's pray. Dearest, gracious, heavenly Father, Lord, um, boldly I speak that you will talk to your people. This country is a mess. You are our only hope, both in time and in eternity. I pray, Lord, that we will think carefully about these words, not to be emotional tonight, but to make it a continuous thing, that we, we want our hearts to be yours. We want to be all in, 100%, giving all that we can and all we are to you, Lord, that it will pay the greatest dividends both in time and eternity. I ask this in Jesus Christ, who did exactly that, gave everything. Amen. That was a message from First International. You can access more by visiting our Facebook page, facebook.com slash FICF Reno.